Good morning. Uh, I'd like to extend a special welcome to our previewers and families. Uh, we are so grateful that you are here to get to know uh, us, to get to know our community a little bit better, and very thankful that you have an opportunity to worship our Lord with us this morning. Uh, my name is Grant Lowe. I serve as the chaplain at the college. Um, if you're visiting with us, could you please stand so we can work welcome you? Welcome. We are, we are truly grateful that you're here with us uh, today. Um, I'd like to remind everyone that we have another special visitor with us this afternoon. Uh, at 2 p.m. in the chapel, uh, Senator Bob Corker is going to be here, and he's going to be speaking on faith and a calling to public service. He is a, a remarkable man who previously served as the mayor of Chattanooga. Um, and for those of you who love going down into Chattanooga and being in the downtown area, he played a major role in the sort of transformation of the city of Chattanooga. Uh, President Halverson will, will be moderating a Q&A uh, after he speaks. So uh, please come. I think it's, it's a really rare um, opportunity and a privilege for our community. Uh, another privilege is now for me to introduce our speaker this morning, uh, Reverend Aaron Damiani. Uh, Aaron is an author, a scholar, he is a lover of Jesus who is passionate about public policy. Uh, he was ordained as an Anglican priest and trained in urban church planning uh, while he served as an assistant pastor at Church of the Resurrection on Capitol Hill. He uh, planted and currently serves as the head pastor of Emmanuel Anglican Church in Chicago, Illinois. He's been there since 2012. He and his wife, Laura, have four children who are wonderfully named. Uh, Gus, Sam, Olivia, and Mona. Uh, Aaron is the keynote speaker for our CC LEAD conference that's happening this weekend, and I am thrilled that he's able, he's able to speak to us in chapel this morning. So please give a warm Scots welcome to Reverend Aaron Damiani. Well, thank you. Thank you, Grant, and thanks for the welcome. The warm Scots welcome? The Scots. All right. Well, uh, hey, welcome from uh, Chicago. I bring greetings from the Midwest. Um, and uh, I don't know about you, but I was uh, an undergraduate student in Chicago. In April, when you're an undergraduate, April in Chicago is the worst month ever because it's starting to warm up, but also the assignments are due. And so it was like, am I going to be inside? Am I going to be outside? Then there's romances happening, really sparking. So any romances happening here? Um, I heard some clapping before chapel started. Um, someone got asked out apparently. So yeah. All right. Well, great. <laughs> Where do we go from there? Well, I'll tell you where we're going to go. The, the topic for this morning is called The Baptized Imagination in a Pornographic Age. The Baptized Imagination in a Pornographic Age. How can our imaginations be washed and renovated to its original glory to serve God and our fellow man? Uh, our imagination is like a second pair of eyes that can see actually what's really important. Rankin Wilborn, pastor in L.A., calls the imagination the ability to see the unseen. It's a uniquely human 
capacity that we have from, from the Lord. Um, on a small scale, it allows us to see, hey, what are lunch plans today? What do you want to have for lunch? You can't see it, but it's real. You can see it with your second pair of eyes. On a large scale, those second pair of eyes, our imagination allows us to see what God's calling is on our life, what it would be like to serve him. We can see our identity. We can see what story we're really in. Our imagination can be enchanted for, for good or ill. We've got three points today about the imagination. Number one, our imagination can be awakened by the living God. Our imagination can be awakened by the living God. Number two, our imagination can be seduced by the pornographic age. And number three, our imagination can be baptized by the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's start with the first point. Our imagination can be awakened by the living God. Some of you may remember the, uh, the movie Snow White. Do people watch Snow White anymore, the old Disney cartoon? Um, so uh, there's, a, there's a scene in Snow White. It's the, probably the climactic scene of the movie where Snow White is laying down. The dwarves have made kind of a, a, a casket-like bed for her. And she's laying down and she's asleep to her community. She's, she doesn't know the dwarves are there. She's asleep. She can't smell the roses. She can't hear the birds. She's totally dead to the world. Even though she's still alive, she's kind of comatose. And the, the, the prince, the prince finds her. The prince, he kneels down. He takes her head in his hands, and then he kisses her on the lips. And she wakes up. She wakes up to her community. She wakes up to the love of her life. She wakes up to her calling. And this is exactly what the living God can do with our imaginations. He can wake us up. The first words ever spoken over Adam and Eve woke up their imagination, woke up their second pair of eyes to see what's really going on. Genesis 1.27 records it, 27 and 28. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. The living God woke Adam and Eve up to his blessing and presence. He woke them up to their community. Hey, behold, your fellow image bearer. Be fruitful together. And he woke them up to their vocation. By giving them dominion to steward the natural order. Our imaginations need this. Our imaginations need to see what is true and good and beautiful. What story are we really living in? We need to be able to see a holy and loving God so we can worship him and delight ourselves in him. Our imaginations need to be woken up to see our fellow image bearers so that we can honor them, so that we can respect them. Our imaginations need to be woken up so that we can see a world to be governed a calling to be taken up so that we can lay our lives down to bring order out of chaos. When the living God uh, wakes up our imaginations, we can see ourselves and we can see him as, we, as uh, he truly is. We can see ourselves as we truly are. And then we'll be life givers instead of life takers when we see what God is waking us up to. So that's the first point. Our imaginations, they can be awakened by the living God. Now, unfortunately for Adam and Eve and for us, 
Point two, our imaginations can be seduced by the pornographic age. Our imaginations can be seduced by the pornographic age. Another set of images can pass before our eyes, the eyes of our imagination. We can read about that in Genesis 3, uh, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So the serpent, he's crafty, he's intelligent. He knows that if you enchant the imagination, you get the whole life. So he's not going to stuff an apple in Eve's mouth. He's going to captivate her imagination so that she does it herself. He paints a distorted picture. Genesis 3, verse 4, The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die if you eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. Verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, Eve, did you know that God is keeping something from you? Something awesome. It's the knowledge of good and evil. You're not exactly going to die. Your second pair of eyes will behold wonderful and terrible things. Things that God's been hiding from you. I hate to say it, Eve, but you're naive. You're what we call a good little girl. Don't you want to grow up? Don't you want to make history? When I look at you, I can see a woman who is ready for that. I see a woman who's ready to get wise. Don't you want to know what it's like to know good and evil, Eve? Don't you want to know the power? Don't you want to feel the power of knowing good and evil surging through your veins? You'll be godlike. You know, there's a point in Snow White when the evil queen holds up a poisoned apple. An apple that she's filled with poison. She's enchanted the apple. It's red. It looks like a, a juicy apple. Um, she calls it a magic wishing apple. One bite and all your dreams come true. A magic wishing apple. One bite and all your dreams come true. Take the apple, Snow White, and make a wish. It promises to make your dreams come true, but it actually just puts you to sleep. It actually just kills you from the inside out. And this is the fruit of the pornographic age. The poisoned apple of fantasies. I'm not talking about the literary genre. I love George MacDonald. I love C.S. Lewis. I love Tolkien. We need them. I'm not talking about the literary genre of fantasies. I'm talking about false stories built around our desires and our pain. For instance, glory fantasies, where we dream of grandiosity and the praise of others. Or revenge fantasies, where we imagine settling old scores. Or self-pity fantasies, where we imagine ourselves as the perpetual victim. A fantasy is a magic wishing apple. One bite, and all your dreams come true. We take the bite, and we, in the words of Augustine, curve in on ourselves. In curvitas and say. The poison apples cause us to curve in so that we can no longer see the true, good, and beautiful. We can no longer see God's thrilling and captivating gospel because we've hunched over our fantasies. We fall asleep to God, we fall asleep to ourselves, we fall asleep to our calling in the world. 
Snow White took the poison apple and took the story that went along with it. She took the bite and she curved in on herself. My kids are going through what's known as the vending machine, machine stage. The vending machine stage. It's where they find a, a vending machine and they, they run to it and they're like, Dad, oh, if only I could have those chips. If only I could have those cookies, Dad. Oh, they just stare through the glass until I pull them away. Come on. But they're like, Dad, could I have some Powerade? I'm like, you've never had Powerade before. It's gross. <laughs> the pornographic age and the prince of the pornographic age would have every last one of us staring through the glass. Oh, if only I could have that body instead of my own. If only I could have that body for myself and consume it and have it in just that way. If only I could have that man, if only I could have that woman in that way, oh, I would be complete. The great lie of the pornographic age is that if only my romance fantasies could come true, I'd be a whole person. If only my sexual fantasies could come true, cultivated in the pornographic age, if only they could come true, then I would be complete, then I would be satisfied. If only I could have that kind of woman, if only I could have that kind of man, if only I could have that perfect wedding, I'll, I would be a complete person and a whole person. And it's a lie, it's a poisoned apple. What happens when we buy it? What happens when we take a bite? Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. You know, the man and the woman, they're called to bear God's image together. What a holy calling. What a beautiful calling. But here they are, seduced, consuming a lie together, cooperating with each other in death. Once we've been seduced, we don't just consume the poison apple. Once we've been seduced by the pornographic age, we consume each other. We're all in the vending machine on display, and we're all staring at the vending machine to consume it. King David looked through the glass, and he saw Bathsheba, and he said, if only I had that. Jesus Christ looked at his bride, the church, and said, this is my body, broken for you. Which is why we can end this morning on a word of hope. Our imaginations, seduced though they have been, can be baptized by the Lord Jesus Christ. Our imaginations can be baptized by the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, you can turn there. If you have a Bible, I'm just going to look at a couple verses there. Starting in verse 25, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot 
or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Our systems are filled with the poisonous toxins of fantasy. We've taken in bent image, we've feasted on false stories, and those false stories have degraded us and curved us inward. Yet through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus Christ offers to unite himself to us and then to wash us clean in the process. He can baptize our imaginations with the word of God. Uh, Paul says, Jesus can cleanse us with the washing of water with the word. The washing of water with the word. That is to say that Jesus Christ can take our second pair of eyes and he can take the water of the word, the cleansing water of the word through the Holy Spirit and he can, he can wipe away everything that's getting in the way of us seeing God's true, beautiful, and good reality. He can take the garments of our imagination and wash them with the word of God through the Holy Spirit. Wash them of all the, all the dirt, all the grime, all the toxic, uh, poisonous materials so that they shine like a white garment yet again. He can help us see, Jesus Christ can, reality as it is in God. We can confess our fantasies. We can verbalize them. We can say, Jesus Christ, and we can go to a trusted pastor or a friend and say, you know what? This has been cycling through my imagination. It's just what I daydream about in my spare time. It's the false story that I'm living by. We can confess that through Jesus' cross. And um, we can feast our imaginations on the story of Jesus and let it change us from the inside out. I know uh, of a young man, this happened for him. He was a, he was a soldier, he served his country uh, in the military, and uh, he was a ladies' man. He loved to, uh, to seduce, quite frankly, um, young women. And so he would, he would read stories about, he would fantasize about winning great feats of battle and, and winning glory for himself on the battlefield. And then transitioning from there to, to, uh, to seducing the young women. And he was just, that was his story. That was the, what his second pair of eyes was feasting on. That's what he was curved in on. And so that was his life. At one point, he was injured in the battlefield. He got a leg injury. And so he was in convalescence uh, and, and recovering from his injury. And he was asking the, the hospital staff, like, can you bring me these stories? I, I love these soldier stories, these ladies' man stories. Can you bring me some of these? And they're like, well, the only book that we have is, are, are the Gospels of Jesus. The story of Jesus' life. He was like, well, there's nothing else to read. Um, go ahead, bring him to me. And so they brought him the gospel of Jesus, the gospels of Jesus. And so he just started to read them. He just started to read the story of Jesus. He started to read how Jesus cleansed the lepers and, and, and read how Jesus made disciples and read how Jesus would spend all of his time, not all of his time, but a large chunk of his time with the Father in solitude. And he began to imagine himself in the story of Jesus. He began to imagine himself as the leper, as the disciple, sitting with Jesus on the rock, praying to the Father. And it totally changed his life from the inside out. He stopped seeing his, uh, his fellow image bearer, women in his life. Instead of some, a thing to be consumed, he was like, no, these are fellow image bearers. I need to respect and honor them. Instead of fantasizing about his glory, he would, he would begin to imagine the glory of God in Christ. His new motto became, Mayorum de Gloriam. Mayorum de Gloriam, for the glory, for the greater glory of God. For the greater glory of God. 
And he found his calling. He uh, started lots of seminaries and colleges and schools. Uh, that's why a lot of schools are named Ignatius of Loyola. That was his name. And that was his calling. And he founded something called the Society of Jesus. He taught people how to pray the scriptures. Maybe some of you have heard about the Ignatian method. It's just reading the scriptures imaginatively, putting yourself in the story of Jesus and letting that fuel your prayer life and letting that satisfy your imagination. When the Lord Jesus Christ baptizes our imaginations, he restores everything that the pornographic age has taken from us. When we've curved in on fantasy, he straightens our spine so that we can see God's reality. When we've marred the image of God in others, Jesus Christ restores our original glory. And when we've fallen asleep from eating the poison apple, he gives us the smelling salts of the gospel to wake us up. He'll renew our life, restore relationships, restore vocation in the world. Our second pair of eyes, our imaginations can see God's true, beautiful, and good reality again. We'll be set free to, to love God and serve our neighbor as we're called to. And this is why Paul calls us to awake. Wake up, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Let me pray. Father, would you now shine on us? Would you cause us to see your true, beautiful, and good reality? Shine the light of Christ on us so that we can see the unseen that is true in God. Let us see the kingdom of God. Let us spend our time imagining what is true, good, and beautiful. Would you shine on us? Would you scatter the darkness from before our path? And would you let the blessing of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us for the rest of the semester and beyond. In the name of your Son, Jesus, I ask all these things. Amen.